0: Today on the Marshall Pro Podcast, we have your Week in IndyCar guest episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA, Mike Hull, Managing Director of Chip Ganassi Racing, and Race Strategist for the winner of Saturday Night's Genesis 300 at Texas Motor Speedway, Scott Dixon. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Marshall. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Oof. Well, we have plenty of questions for you and uh, about 40 or so minutes to get them done. So why don't we jump right in here with, uh, we've actually got two folks. We have Aaron Jensen and Tim Falkowitz on the topic of Scott Dixon being a moderately okay race car driver. Uh, Let's go with Aaron. It says, Mike, you and I once had a good conversation on Tiger Woods. And what set him apart from his competitors? He says I love to study greats from different sports, like Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, etc. And they're well documented. Could you explain what makes Scott so different, in and out of the car, from his contemporaries, in ways that maybe folks can't fully understand?
1: Um. Well, thanks for the question, Aaron. Um. Well, first of all, if if talent is a given
0: uh scott has
1: enormous talent uh he also uh, works within the team to get as much as he can from uh from every person on the team he he tries to have a complete understanding of where we're going and what we're doing together uh how how the internal uh team resource can help him um and he certainly displays that on the racetrack Uh, But what he he does an extremely good job of doing is not accepting what just happened. So we just won a race, as an example. We just won at Texas. He's won there uh, four times. Uh, But I think he's already thinking about uh, the Brickyard Road Track race. He's already working with uh, the group uh, internally, uh, that we have the resource that we have, the people resource that we have to get ready for the brickyard. Uh, he, he works to make himself better by utilizing all the information at his disposal. And, uh, he doesn't like to lose (laughs) and, uh, he makes that very apparent to us. Um, and, uh, we jump to attention for him on a daily basis. So, uh, over the years, uh, uh, he's, he's grown and he continues to grow to this day. Uh, he remembers where he came from, and he knows without continuing to work, people will run over the top of him. So he works really, really hard to be better than, than he was uh, uh, yesterday.
0: Tim asks, Mike, I heard Scott say please on the broadcast after discussing the changes for an upcoming pit stop. Is he always this calm and polite at 200 miles an hour?
1: I think he's calm and polite when his car is really good. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> That's a truism for all drivers.
1: <laughs> uh, when, when the car isn't right for him, we can't sometimes make out the words, Tim. Uh, <laughs> but we know the inflection in the voice and we know we'd better fix it. Uh, but uh, uh, we had a great radio to start with at Texas so we could make out his words. I, I assume on the broadcast it sounds like you heard some of them. Uh, but uh, uh, what, I, what I like about Scott, he's, he's very much in the moment, and uh, he keeps us abreast of the car. We ask him about the car, and oftentimes he doesn't answer immediately because he thinks about it before he answers because he wants us to be able to work on it without having to correct it. Uh, we don't We don't have a lot of change we can make from the pit lane, but he helps us with that. Frankly, at Texas, it would have either been tire pressure or uh, arrow at the front, the front wings. Uh, so each affect the other. Uh, uh, you know, air pressure changes spring rates, uh, which is mechanical, and, uh, and the front wings uh, affect the arrow. So he guides us sometimes in the direction we would go with that. Um, and then he has controls front rear roll bars in the car to help himself, which he does. Um, so it's a combination of those things, and we guide him through the process, and he guides us through the process. It's a two-way stream, two-way, uh, two-way street.
0: Let's go to Keith Lee and Brett Ross also ask uh, similar questions. Keith saying congrats on the win this weekend, Mike. Can you share how the weekend went with the COVID-19 rules in place? And uh, both he and Brett are curious if you can share the impact that michael cannon has brought to the number nine car
1: okay well we could take those one at a time i think uh, they're not they're not uh, exactly uh the same answer uh but keith and brett uh first of all uh if we if we could just backtrack on that um in order to work in marion county um as a non-essential business, what IndyCar teams had to do that are based in Marion County, which is a county, the county where Indianapolis is located. Uh, We had to fill out quite a, quite a, we had to create quite a document for them to review in order to be able to work with the CDC guidelines. Um, IndyCar was instrumental in in helping us get that through. Uh, We created a a multi-page library document for them to study. They, they did come and inspect us based on the document. And what was good about that really is we were prepared when we went to Texas to work in the same manner. Uh, So we didn't have surprise there. And uh, so we worked really, really hard to do do something that we had never done before as a race team, nor had any other IndyCar team. And that is uh, work with social distancing, uh, with all the things that are required that you you would need to do, Keith and Brett, you might be used to going to the grocery store with your mask on, but imagine living all day long at home with your mask on or or being out in your yard in 100 degree weather, mowing your lawn and in in your mask and so on. So we worked hard with our people to get that all the way through. And I think we were successful all the way through the day. Um, That would be the first part. Uh, The second part was Michael Cannon, I think. Is that right? Yep. Um, Here's what actually happened uh, for us. Uh, Michael Cannon came available, which we didn't expect. And what, when, when talent comes available to us, we try to find a way to integrate that talent into our system. So Michael Cannon wasn't the only change that we made in the, uh, in the workforce. We moved several people around, number one. Uh, one of which was Chris Simmons, who had been on Scott's car. Um, we felt we had a void there where we needed to have someone of Chris's uh, uh, tool toolbox um, available to us to work much, much better on our product. He he's called a competition director, but what that actually means for us is he 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 works on the flow of engineering and also the flow of the product to the car from an engineering aspect. We didn't have anybody truly doing that before, and that's really helped the fit and finish of our cars. Um, Michael Cannon replaced him um, with Scott. And and I would say a positive of virtual racing with Michael Cannon was that Scott and he and our engineering group, management group, got to work together as if they were racing over the last several weeks Had that not happened, they would have been learning to race at the racetrack. So that really helped. That was a byproduct for us of virtual racing. Um, We also, the third thing with that in mind is that this is the first year and first time in 17 years we haven't raced sports cars. Most of the people on our sports car team are IndyCar people or have been IndyCar people. Uh, so we moved most of them or integrated most of them back into our system by, the, by adding a third entry and spreading the, the load through uh, uh, the technicians that work on the car, the engineers that uh, have their minds on the car, the R&D engineers that work. And so we, we became a bit more fortified there. Um, so that was a bit of a job in order to get everybody integrated and everybody working together. But I think we're a stronger organization because of all of those things now. Uh, we were surprised that it validated itself at Texas in a way because we thought, you know, we're we're working hard here. We just don't know what's going to happen, um, but we're going to keep working at it. And uh, the team itself really, really pulled together quite well. So, um Racing isn't about one person. Racing is about t- a team of people that work together. But when you bring somebody in from the outside or you move somebody into a different job, what happens is it, it creates a fresh approach, fresh thinking, looks at the same problems that you have to create uh, a different solution. And uh, uh, sometimes all of us are guilty of groupthink. And what it does is it spurs the people inside the system to look at uh, problem solving in a different manner, as well as the people that come in or or are moved into a different job. Sure. Um, so I, I would say all of those things contributed uh, to what what happened at Texas. Uh, Michael Cannon has made a difference, but some people from the outside or, or maybe a fan would think, well, Mike Cannon comes over with a with a notebook full of setups and he just gives those to Ganassi and off you go. And, um, it's more, it's more how you approach a problem than a setup sheet. It's how you, how you create conversation in order to make a difference and change things. And, uh, and so I think that was probably the biggest, uh, positive, uh, coming out of all the changes that we made over the
0: winter. Let's go to David Crawley. Who is asking about? Well, actually, we've got David, Robbie Berger, and Kevin Pinkston. We've got uh, a good little trio of questions here. Uh, let's go with David first, as Mike. It looks like you guys nailed the setup Saturday evening. Curious about the challenges of the aeroscreen weight, tire compounds, and what that might have posed uh, to your team and others. And also, was curious about how difficult it was for drivers regarding cockpit temperatures. And uh, Robbie asked a similar question uh, about temperatures as well due to uh, driver heat behind the aero screen.
1: Well, we can talk about the air screen first uh, in terms of the the, the cockpit temperature. Uh, I know some people, some of the drivers, um, none of ours, but some of the drivers had problems with their the tubes going into the helmets uh, dislodging or coming up coming coming loose during the race. Um, I know that uh, most of the teams are looking into that. That'll probably help. Uh, some of the issues that were going on um, our drivers didn't complain about the heat in any way whatsoever they thought it was adequate uh could it be better absolutely uh but uh the, the biggest thing for our cars is to have air circulation which when the aeroscreen screen is put on the car you don't have so we had air circulation in the cockpit um i i, I don't know that this, that's the hottest uh or the most humid temperatures we will ever race in but it probably comes pretty close uh so I, I, I think it was reasonable um in terms of the aero screen itself with the setup uh unlike the days of old when you just showed up and licked your thumb and put it up in the air to read the racetrack uh we had a lot of information that was given to us by indycar and uh by Delara. um in order to be able to simulate what what the aeroscreen would was going to do, uh, we, we did a lot of calculations. Our guys did a lot of a lot of number crunching and lots of things. We worked on the setup uh, to change the setup to accommodate work weight forward uh, before we ever arrived at Texas. Uh, we also um, have had uh, the opportunity to work in the Honda simulator which uh, uh, is really a good tool to use. We don't exclusively use it. All the Honda teams um, can use it or, and, and also do use it. So the good thing about the simulator today for us is that what we learn in the simulator helps us um, in, the, in the real world with setup. Um, and uh, so we tried uh, quite a few of the things that our people came up with in the off season, in the simulator before going to Texas. And we actually started with a simulator setup Mm. Uh, in the very first session. We had three cars and we had a test list for all three cars in that case, independent of each other. But each car was responsible to go through certain items of the setup. And uh, about midway through the, through the the first practice session, which was a lengthy one, uh, we compared notes and, uh, and, uh, and used the information from all three cars to help us. Um, I would say in in Scott's case, uh, we worked on fuel uh, because we didn't know how long uh, the session was actually going to be, even though it was meant to be, I think, 90 minutes. Maybe it's what it was. Um, With yellows and all that, we didn't think that IndyCar would give us any additional time on the racetrack because qualifying was on television. (laughs) So... With the time element, uh, they're going to stop and you're going to get ready for qualifying because you have to go through that whole qualifying process. You have to go back. You have to get your car ready. Then you have to go through tech and you have to be there on a a time frame schedule. So we had less than an hour from the time practice ended until we had to be spit back out into the pit lane by going through that entire process, which really means you had about 20 minutes to, to work on your car. That's really what you had Wow before before being in the qualifying line. Uh, so uh, I think most teams did what we did. I think most teams worked on the race and knowing full well that um, you didn't want to be greedy in qualifying by taking arrow out of the car to, to turn a fast lap yeah because you were going to start the race that way and you and you were meant to start the race on the tires you qualified. So you weren't starting on stickers either. Um, so for the most part, what we did was rolled the car, uh, through tech, like we practiced with it and we'd made a couple of changes, but they were not significant changes at all. Uh, in, in terms of major setup things before qualifying and we went out qualified and, um, the car was fast. David, I think that's a great
0: question. Yeah. And, uh, you also covered Kevin's without even me having to pose it. So,
1: oh, Kevin, well, thank good. you. No, no,
0: it'd be good. It's <laughs> like you're reading from the page in front of me here. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's go to Andrew Clark, uh, who asks, Mr. Hole, how do you approach a one day event differently from a full weekend? Um, and is a driver asked to use more caution in qualifying uh, in light of, I guess, what we saw? some who didn't make it into the race or at least one who didn't make it into the race due to a heavy qualifying crash. So wh- how do you go about this differently uh, than you would a normal weekend, Mike?
1: I think you go about it in the same manner, but obviously it, it, uh, uh, it's one day. Uh, so what you do, uh, Andrew is you have a, a priority list. Uh, and you need to get through that list based on the sequence of, of your priority. If your list is 10 items for practice, you want to get through all 10, but if you only get through five or six, at least you've gotten the most important things out of the way. So in this case, uh, we did exactly that. We, we rolled out of the truck with a setup that we thought would be close but there was a list of items that we wanted to try based on that priority list. And and frankly, they were three items per our three teams. So nine items. And we wanted to get through those nine items to get feedback for our drivers respectively. So we could then go for the second part of the practice session with what we learned. And I, and I think that the multi level teams probably did the same thing. Uh, I'm guessing. I don't know if if it were a two-day event uh, where you would practice and qualify on the first day and warm up and race on the second day, then you would you would plan accordingly. Uh, we have that kind of event coming up at the Brickyard on Fourth of July weekend, where we practice and qualify on Friday, and we warm up and race on Saturday. Then we go to Road America, which is really a doubleheader where you don't have that opportunity. So you'll you'll practice, qualify, and race. You'll practice, qualify, be impounded, and race. Practice, qualify, be impounded, and race the second day. And then the same the following weekend, uh, Friday night, Saturday night at Iowa. Uh, so I think each event, Andrew, is you, you tailor your, your priority list and uh, try to get the most out of it and uh, try to have the best race car you have based on the time element.
0: And knowing that, as you mentioned, don't really have the luxury of a second day or third day, the correct, the to-do list, the setup to-do list, you are having to really prioritize what you need to get through, knowing that if by chance, you don't get through all in day one well there's no there's nothing to use tomorrow so yeah i would say it does focus the energies towards uh well less experimental things and or <laughs> if you are showing up with things you want to experiment well you're having to roll the dice a bit to uh, to do them well, and use that time yeah. there uh knowing yeah. there are potential risks to it not panning out
1: well think about this um we had an open test at Coda, which was really half a day, because a day and a half of it was rain. Uh, and most other teams only had one other test day. Uh, most most of them prior to Coda, and most of those people were at Sebring. The only people that ran in addition to that were the rookies who ran a rookie test at Texas after Coda. So. We we had one and a half days of running uh, since October of 2019. So now it's June, and uh, if you kind of turn back the clock, nobody's really been on track at a hard pace since October at Laguna Seca. And so now what you're going to do is you're going to go to your first event wherever it is, and on top of that, it's going to be a one-day event. Uh, So uh, that provides such an element of of uncertainty for everybody uh, that I think that uh, they probably didn't exhale until they got to lap 125 or something in the race. Um, Yeah, it was was a fast day. Some people were relearning what they meant to be doing as teams of people, and and some people were probably better at it than others. Um, And there were certainly some surprises there.
0: What do we go to? Philippe Dennis, a young road to Indy driver. So glad mm-hmm. that we've got uh, young talent who I'm guessing might want to be uh, occupying one of those Chip Ganassi racing seats here in the future. Uh, Philippe, I believe from California, like yourself, Mr. Hall and myself <laughs> says, what does Mike okay. think about sim racing and using high grade simulators for car development and driver training like they do in Formula One? Philippe, by the way, just ran the table, I believe, winning everything in sight. The uh, road ah, to indie Eye Racing.
1: There's a little. There's there's a little action going on here, Philippe. Yep. Um, uh, I, I'm all for it. To be honest about it, uh, because I think anytime you can practice racecraft, you're better off because it makes you think about what you need to do next or what you're doing on the racetrack. Do I believe that that eye racing and things like that are uh, different than a simulator? Absolutely. Uh, I think a simulator that that uh, uses a real tire model, a real road, and is run by uh, real engineers (laughs) Um, is a great tool for driver development as well as setup. Um, And uh, uh, I think what's stopping most teams in the United States, whether they be an IndyCar team, a sports car team, or a NASCAR team, from doing it is just the expense of installing it in your building, you know, that's probably a two or $3 million exercise to get it on the floor in your building. And then after that, it probably takes you, if you're good at it after you've hired a staff of, I don't know, two, three, four people to run the thing um, probably six to eight, 10 months, maybe 12 months to get the thing right. So it's that investment, that time investment and also the monetary investment and the people investment to make it happen. Um uh capitalization wise it would be great to do it I would enjoy I I think we would enjoy doing it um maybe some of those formula 1 people would uh salvo one over here to us and we could start
0: with it There we go uh slightly used <laughs> <laughs> Uh let's see where shall we go Uh why don't we go to all right, here's uh, here's something maybe you could do some explaining with. You know, a couple of folks are curious. This comes from our pal Lawrence Cunningham. Says, Mike, again, congrats on the win. The great run by all three cars. Do you think it was the heat or the sealant or whatever was put down on the track that made running a second groove in the corners impossible or a combination of the two?
1: You know, I don't really know, Lawrence. Um, I, I don't have an answer for that, and I don't think that we have an answer as a team for that. Uh, what we do as a race team is we just, uh, do our best with whatever the conditions are. And, uh, uh, passing was difficult. There's no question about it. Was it processional? Absolutely. Uh, as to why, I don't know. It, it was probably a combination of things and I don't know if the sealant should, should take it on the chin for that necessarily, because I think it was a bit deeper than that. Um, I, I think it was uh, an event where nobody had a lot of track time, so they didn't really get to work on the setup. Hey, I think everybody saw Scott Dixon pass Newgarden on the outside in the corner that everybody was complaining about. Uh, so I think it was it was, it was was okay to do. We also saw Felix Rosenquist in the same corner have a problem. So, uh, um, you know, I'm not sure, Lawrence, what to say there, except uh, what race teams do is – they take the negative out of their mind and they work on the positive and the positive is to get the most out of it on a given day. And that's what we did.
0: There we go. Uh, why don't we go to a couple of Felix questions starting with Daniel Kincaid says, Mike, how would you compare Felix's race, uh, Texas this year versus last year and how much does having a year under his belt, um, help say more than anything else compared to uh, Uh, others have more experience on ovals.
1: Daniel, that's a good question. I, I think we even saw in the race itself how he came on. We didn't we didn't see that at the front end of the season with Felix last year because he was still uh, uh, in pretty deep water trying to learn how to properly drive an Indy car at real speed. Um, we saw that in Indianapolis uh, before he was involved in that melee at the end of the event, um, that he came on in the last third of the race there. So we expect large things out of him this year. Um it was disappointing with the result we had with him because he had a car that was capable of winning the race, and he proved that, and he was driving it like that. And he really got caught up in somebody else's accident, in my opinion. Um, and no fault of them. It's just the, just, just the combination of, of people trying to, to either maintain, retain, or gain their position at the end of the race uh, because it came down to, you know, this, this run at the end, where everybody all of a sudden is being told on the radio, you're in sixth place, you're in eighth place, you're in 10th place, you're in third place, whatever. And so you're doing everything you can to stay in that position uh, for the final tally. So uh, Felix was just in the wrong place at the wrong time there with a great race car.
0: Let's go with, hmm. let's go with David. We'll stay here and you kind of answered this, but curious how folks felt about, Felix's crash. He says, it looks to me that Hinchcliffe uh, moved at least a lane up the track, which pushed Felix into no man's land. Everyone, including Felix, seemed fine with James' move, but it looked a bit suspect to me. So, um, again, I've heard a lot of opinions and blame and whatever, and but just curious how this either settled with everyone at the time or here with a couple of days' context.
1: Well, I, I would say this. Uh, sometimes when you watch t- television, it's obvious. Sometimes when you watch television, it's not. But I, I'm a firm believer that drivers need to deal with drivers. Managers need to deal with managers and so on. Uh, I, I, watched, I watched the replay of the accident. Um, and the way I look at it is what I said a moment ago. Uh, Felix had come out of the pits on stickers Um, the, the race was getting close to the end, uh, with how he sequenced out of the pits, he was sequenced among all of those people. Uh, could that have been differently done differently? Perhaps with pit sequence, I don't really know. Uh, but, uh, the reality is he was around people that he probably hadn't been around much all night long. And they were suddenly fighting for their own position on the racetrack. And so they got a spotter. Their spotter was telling them what's what's going on. Felix had a ton of closing speed. He had a lot of, compared to those guys, he was a lot faster. And uh, he was just trying to get the most, make the most out of it. And he was trying to catch Scott. Um, So do I blame anybody? Heck no. I, I just, it's just the way it is.
0: I like the sound of that. Compared to, as a matter of fact, renouncing, he's been fired. Uh, let's see. <laughs> let's go to our pal, Ryan Terpstra, who asks Mike, do you think Scott Dixon's early submission for pass of the year will survive the rest of the schedule? And says, uh, I hope
1: not. I, oh, yeah. What was the rest of that?
0: Well, you say, on a more serious note, uh, Indian August uh, will likely be as hot as Texas was. Anything the series can do to ensure a good race rather than the difficulty in traffic we saw at Texas, a lot of stuff kind of tangled in there. Um, And provided we don't have PJ one put down at the brickyard and then scraped away with dead tires. (laughs) uh, I don't think we're going to have an issue there, but yeah, pass of the year candidate. I mean, I, that's, I'm not saying it can't be beaten, but I think this is probably going to hover in the top three, no matter what. What about you?
1: Well, uh, all of us, us live to be able to see that. Uh, all of us live to see that being done successfully. <laughs> um, and it was a great pass. Um, and, uh, but it takes two to make that happen. And what happens is you have to have a lot, as a race driver, you have to have a lot of confidence in the integrity of the person that you're passing. It takes two to make a pass, not one. And some people don't let you make that pass. They make it hard on you. And Scott was around a few people that made it extremely hard on him on Saturday night for no reason at all. Some pretty good people. Uh, So Joseph races clean. He understands the situation. And uh, I'm sure that his spotter was telling him that Scott was coming. And Joseph's going to hold his line. Uh, and, uh, and so I think it takes two to make that happen. So that's what makes a great pass, really. Um, first of all, you have to have the, uh, the balls to do it. Um, you have to have confidence in your car and you have to have a confidence in your neighbor. And we'd seen people in that corner. In fact, we were taken out by one, uh, who would have never made the pass a couple of years ago. So. It's, uh, um, that's just the way racing works, especially on an novel.
0: Yeah. Ryan. Uh, I love Ryan. We give him a hard time whenever possible. <clears throat> Let's go to Louise Smith. This is Mike again. Congratulations on the win. She's curious about with the addition of the third team to the IndyCar program. And apparently most of the members of the IMSA crew coming over. Was there anything that was difficult or tough? in that expansion, basically allocating folks you had in the building, but to a different program.
1: We were really lucky because we had run up to four cars in the past or an additional entry at the speedway over the years. And we had most of the equipment on hand. So we didn't, uh, we, we had to to update some of the equipment that had been in storage literally, uh, for us, but, uh, that was not too difficult. And as was said we had we had people so we didn't have to search the community to find people to work for us and we moved people around from the eight and nine car onto the 10 car so it was we'd uh uh integrated the people from the from the sports car to sports car entries uh into the rest of our our, our groups of people the eight nine and then the 10 car um so not too difficult, I, I suppose, uh, from a management standpoint. We've practiced this a few times, so uh, uh, that makes it somewhat easier. Um, and uh, Chip enjoys adding to our program. And, and, you know, we've added and subtracted and added subtracted. We've r- run, raced sports cars. Uh, NASCAR has run NASCAR. They've run a the Saturday race. They've From there, they've run Global Rallycross. Uh, so... We're you we, we work really, really hard to make it an everyday thing when we when we, when we decide to do those things.
0: All right, we're actually you and your efficient answers here. We're, uh, we're getting done uh, in a timely fashion. Uh, let's see where should we go now? All right, here we go. Um, we're gonna go to Dave Newell, says first again, excellent job by the entire team. Curious. With the revised schedule, weather is now, say, off from one track to the other. I'm not exactly sure what Dave means there. Uh, knowing that air temperature, pressure, and humidity play a role, um, how is that a challenge? Maybe, I'm guessing what he's referring to is rather than starting the year and earlier in the year and maybe slightly more moderate temperatures, any thoughts on running race cars and also running a workforce basically starting the season while baking <laughs> uh, baked well, Blair me- Julian coming to a paddock near you. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I think we probably were well baked already uh, uh, Dave at, uh, at Texas. So we don't have to work about worry about the baked element anymore. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting question. Uh, we've just always modified or, or, uh, uh, worked on the trim on our race car on the aero side and the mechanical side based on the conditions of the racetrack. Um, so we've raced in uh, wonderful weather. We've, we've raced in real estate weather <laughs> and we we've raced in weather where you wouldn't ever live. So in terms of the weather, so uh, uh, it's, it's not a big factor now.
0: All right. We are going to go to how many do we have left here? I think we'll do, we'll do three. Uh, we'll go to Clint Lawnan. All right. We're going to do a little bit of uh, learning and explaining here with Uncle Mike. It says, I've <laughs> always wondered what takes place when cars come in and stop and we see crew guys plugging in various things after the car stops. I think Clint might be referring to the umbilical. Uh, he okay, asks, so, what's going yeah. on? Is it for computers? Talking about practice. He's talking about
1: practice here. Correct. The, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we plug a, a main cable. What looks like what Clint's asking about is that cable is a cable that uh, has several things hooked up to it. Um, it's quite a trunk of wires. Um, uh, what it basically does is, is uh, takes the data from the car. We call it downloading. So it downloads from the car back to the computers on the timing stand. Uh, to various people on the stand. So to a sim engineer, to the Honda technician, to the data engineer, to the chief engineer. So it has at least four functions there. And then from that, uh, the software then helps you tune the car. Uh, It creates, for the sake of a better word, it creates flags. It tells you what's different than, than that happened in the previous run. Uh, It tells you what areas need improvement. And so you zero in on that. And then also within that cabling device is an intercom. So the driver is on a intercom uh, discussion with you rather than two-way radio uh, about the car itself with the engineering group. Um, And, uh, or it'll just be an information stream back to that driver about what's going on on the racetrack, who's doing, he might ask, you know, what's Ryan Hunter Ray doing or what's, Will Power doing or what's Tony Kanon doing, you know, he may want to know what's going on with them. Uh, we, we have exactly the same system on our other, on all three stands. So we can look at their information. So on the stand, so we might be looking at Felix's data while Scott's sitting in the pits. And uh, so you're reading the racetrack. Uh, you, you can tell where the arrow balance is on Felix's car immediately with the setup he's running on his car. So that's good information for Scott to understand, you know, Felix is a little loose in turn three with the setup that he has. And so you might go into detail with that in conversation. So those are the kinds of things that happen. And then you also will see the fueler uh, put fuel in the car, which is another hose that comes over the wall uh, to keep the the fuel level at whatever level you'd like it to be. Um, That's probably the main things that happen when you're in the pits with all that cabling that's happening.
0: We also have trying to keep the battery fresh as well uh, which is another thing now granted that's not specific to IndyCar but granted there's some series where that's not much of the uh, much of the program but again depending on the series Clint that's also something you'll see uh, folks plugging in uh, external batteries um, to help the onboard battery from bearing all the load and possibly being pulled down on its uh, on its charge Um All right, one more explain it type question, then we'll close with a a fun celebratory one. Tom Blackburn (laughs) says, apologies if this has been asked, and it has, but no worries. Sometimes, you know, we cover old ground on the show. But I get confused, Tom says, over the crew positions, i.e. race strategist, race engineer, managing director, technical director, crew chief. (laughs) Mike, what is the breakdown of roles and responsibilities on the CGR crew? And you know if it's any different from the other IndyCar Series teams?
1: Ah, Tom, I, I appreciate the question very much, uh, and I and I'm I'm with you.
0: Mike's confused get, about what I, he does I, too. I get,
1: I get confused about not only what I do, but what everybody else's jobs titles are. When I went to work, work for Chip in 1992, he said to me, Mike, I don't believe in job titles. Everybody here works as a team, so I'm not going to give you a job title. <laughs> So I said, "Okay, Chip, that's fine for me. I just want to work here." Uh, so, um, uh, but every time, Tom, every every time t- timing stand probably is different in terms of job job title. But here's what happens on the stand: you do have somebody that that the the media likes to call a strategist. I don't know why they chose that, but that's what they chose. So we'll just take the nine car stand just to put it in uh, present tense. So that's me. So what I do is I'm on the two-way radio with the driver. I'm on the intercom with all the people that are participating, which we can talk about in a moment. Uh, And I also scan IndyCar. So I've got three things going on in my headset simultaneously. We have uh, an assistant engineer or a data engineer, whatever you'd like to call that person, uh, based on the stand that you might be on on any team in the pit lane and that person is responsible for the data retrieval the data reading uh, the fuel that's in the car uh, any unusual activity the temperatures of the car uh, the fuel count when the car is running on the racetrack um, and many other flags that come up on that person's computer we then have the lead engineer the lead engineer is responsible for the setup making the setup decisions, uh, talking to the driver on the intercom about how those decisions are being made or what's going on in our case on the other from the other two entries. Uh, we have a, a Honda technician, a Honda engineer. The Honda engineer is responsible to be able to uh, do what we call mapping the engine. Um, and that is uh, all the things that it takes through the eight switches that you have for fuel, uh, the ignition switch, what goes on with that, the drivability, what we call a pedal map, and so on. So that that engineer is responsible for all that, and and that engineer integrates into our engineering system for when those changes can be made or what they mean to the driver. We have a simulation engineer also on our stand who, in terms of what we do, kind of forecasts what we think is going to happen in that particular session. So that simulation person works on on practice uh things that can happen in practice as practice develops the changes that the race that that they see the racetrack doing and in the race itself they talk about what's going on what's going on with other people they're crunching numbers they're figuring it out um we have a crew chief who is on the intercom who manages the 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 crew members that go over the wall and behind the wall so in In our case on the nine car, that's Blair Julian. Uh, he's very integrated into what goes on. Um, if if uh, the engineer wants to make a change, Blair's engaged in that and then we have a team channel for all the team members, and they listen to Blair in terms of the changes that need to be made. Um, so in our case, uh, I don't know if that covers titles, but that covers responsibility. And I would think, I haven't worked on another IndyCar team for 28 years. <laughs> so I don't know what other IndyCar teams actually do in terms of how they run a car. It would be kind of cool to see that actually. Um, should but, we call uh, Tim
0: Sindrick and ask if you yeah, can maybe kinda, like swap
1: places? Well, you know, I wouldn't,
0: I, I'd just say, you know, Hey, we got a new intern this weekend. Uh, Mike, yeah. Mike from California. Uh, well, I
1: did, I did ask Roger Penske, uh, he, I, he had made a statement to the press in his press conference when it was announced that he uh, had purchased IndyCar Racing in the Speedway and they had that press conference with uh, several people at the Speedway to make the announcement. And I watched the thing on the video feed. Uh, certainly I was interested in what he was going to say. And he said at some point in there that he was no longer going to be on a timing scan for Penske Racing. So when I saw him at Coda... Uh, The one thing I did say to him was, hey, if you want, since you can't be on that time, you stand, why don't you come over and be on one of ours? (laughs) Uh, So he hasn't taken us up on that yet. But um, I I think that that lays out uh, for Tom most of the responsibilities that we do. And I think they're all very similar with the way they're run. And in some cases, the owners participate. Uh, or in some cases there'll be a consultant that comes in to do one of those jobs rather than a full-time salaried employee who has race experience. As an example, when we were running four cars several years ago, Jim McGee, who I worked for when I started, when I, when I worked at Patrick racing mentor, uh, came and ran one of the timing stands. He was the, he was the strategist. So, uh, there, there are people like that that also come in, but they would have the same, same job title, the same responsibility on a weekend. Let's
0: close on one from our pal, Vincent 1701 says, Mike 30th anniversary this year. Any big plans in the works for the team in light of this special anniversary?
1: 30. Oh yeah. Chip Ganassi racing. Chip has been a a race team owner for 30 years. So 30 full years, uh, we aren't working on the 30th year. Uh, and there's a distinction there. <laughs> he wanted to first make it to 30 before we celebrated it. The, uh, um, I think they have things planned, Vincent, during the year. Cer- certainly, hashtag COVID has slowed that down a little bit. Uh, but yeah, there are, there, there are some things they're working on. I know that their social media uh, campaign is, as, has referenced that quite a bit already. And it's kind of fun to look at. It's, it's sure a great reminder of what we've done over those years. I've only, I haven't made it 30 years yet. Uh, so uh, I'm two years short of that with Chip. Uh, I hope I make it. The, uh, uh, but in terms of uh, what those events are, I'm really not privy to that. The one thing that's really cool, though, is if you get a chance to go to Los Angeles, you should go to, when they, when they open Los Angeles back up, uh, the Peterson museum, which is a terrific, terrific place. If you ever get a chance in LA, you should go to Peterson no matter what. Uh, but there's a 38, 30 year chip Ganassi exhibit in that museum, uh, that features us in a room there. Um, and, uh, I think we've got three, six, we have nine cars in there and a car and a wildcat that chip drove himself at the speedway quite a bit of memorabilia and a video thing that, that, that rolls through that thing uh, continuously. And that exhibit is meant to be there. I believe until now with the extension of COVID it's going to be there till uh, the end of April or early May of this coming year. So there's time to go there. If you come to Long Beach, you should go there. Uh, But uh, 30 years is a, a long time.
0: Well. I was hoping there was gonna be some sort of thirtieth anniversary rap that you and Chip and uh everyone else is gonna do, but you know <laughs>
1: Well, maybe so, you know, but the thing is is uh uh our our communication side is full of surprises, as you know, Marshall, and uh um, it would be not, not good for me to announce any surprises at this point because that would spoil a surprise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There we go. All right. Well, now I'm fascinated. Mr. Holt. So,
1: Vincent, thanks for the question. Yeah. And
0: thanks to everyone for great questions. Mike, thanks for taking some time out the middle of your day. Uh, I know you got to go do stuff. I got to jump off the call here. And uh, Jay Fry is calling in in about nine minutes. So, thank you as always, my friend. And uh, hey, thanks, by the way, for helping us get to 5 million downloads. You have been the most frequent guest on the show so you're responsible for a lot of that
1: well i'm just waiting for the residuals
0: well just like that 30th anniversary ganassi <laughs> rap uh, you keep waiting uh yeah it's yeah, coming it's sure. they keep telling me they keep saying the same thing yep all right okay. and thanks again Thank to you. cooper tires See, and the justice brothers right. and torontomotorsports.com <laughs> and bell racing helmets usa we will speak to you next week family
1: yep thanks marshall